It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected and picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Fell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for part two of our conversation with Connor Rogers, co-host of Stick to Football on Bleacher Report with Matt Miller and the subscription-only podcast Badlands with Joe Caparoso on the Jets' 2020 offseason. Yesterday, we talked all about the Jets' draft Today I want to talk more about free agency And we know that the Jets just made a move at quarterback It looked like David Fales was going to be the guy behind Sam Darnold With Captain Morgan as the third stringer Now it looks like David Fales is probably the odd man out Because the Jets signed Joe Flacco One year, $1.5 million, Up to $3 million with incentives I think this is a really nice move And it's certainly a significant improvement from last year You have to figure that the existing relationship between Joe Douglas and Joe Flacco Played a key role here Douglas of course the area scout Who helped recommend Joe Flacco To upper brass with the Ravens In 2008 when the Ravens traded up To draft Joe Flacco at number 18 Overall so Connor we don't have to Worry about backup quarterback again This year because last year Certainly after Simeon went down but even With Simeon he's nothing special After he was gone it was a disaster And you knew the Jets couldn't even be Competitive now you have to Assume that at least Flacco gives them A chance for a couple of games if something happens to Darnold He missed three games in each of the first two years of his career But regardless of whether it's Sam Darnold or Joe Flacco Or even Captain Morgan behind center One of the key areas that everyone knew Joe Douglas had to improve upon for 2020 And that he seemed to make a priority was the offensive line What do you think about what was done there? Did they do enough? Because the Becton selection obviously everybody likes But he's still going to have his rookie struggles, you'd have to assume. And beyond that, McGovern, good center, solid player, should be a really good upgrade over what they've had the last few years, which, Connor, as I think we both would agree, is not hard because you're talking about Khalil, Harrison, Wesley Johnson, and Spencer Long. So just having somebody at center who's even competent is a huge upgrade. After that, though... Is Van Roten really that much of an upgrade over Winters if he beats Winters out for the job, assuming Winters stays? Lewis is basically more of the same, and he gets hurt all the time. George Fant isn't proven as a starter. He's had his moments. He's flashed a little bit, but overall, he's been very shaky when he has had to start. So what do you think? Did they do enough to fix that offensive line? Well, the simple answer is no, but I don't think it's also fair to completely just, you know, get on Joe Douglas about, about not getting all that done. Because here's the thing, and I said this many times before the offseason began, you can't fix an offensive line that's five spots, you know, five holes deep. You can't do it. It's not possible. 
you can throw a lot of band-aids and bridges and hope that they can get you to the next year where you feel like, okay, we have some foundational guys. We have some band-aid guys. Let's start to rip the band-aids off and get more foundational guys. And after two full years, you feel somewhat good. So did he do a decent job? Yes. And Joe Douglas, I thought, had a very nice first offseason here. And I think that you're limited, number one, right? You're limited because only so many guys make it to free agency and you only have so many draft picks and you really weren't given much. Now, there's certain things that, you know, I can nitpick at, but let's just get right down to it. I think the plan was always to throw the bag at Joe Tooney from New England, and then you would have looked at it and said, okay, we signed Joe Tooney. He's, he's one of the best, if not the best, left guard in football. So then you have Joe Tooney, and now Brandon Scherf was a guy that was definitely in play before he obviously couldn't go anywhere, and it goes back to my point of why you can't fix an entire offensive line in one offseason. There's just not enough names out there to make that possible. So I'm sure the plan was, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll throw the bag at Joe Tooney, you know, not a lot of people, including myself, saw New England franchising him. That came out of nowhere. So if you came out of this thing and you're like, all right, we know we're going to get a tackle at 11. We know we're going to get Joe Tooney at left guard. Maybe we could still sign McGovern at center because let's be real. It wasn't like a groundbreaking deal for a player that I really like, very reliable in pass protection. Then you come into this thing and you're like, man, we got Mackay back in that left tackle, Joe Tooney at left guard, McGovern at center. And the right side, let's be real, needs work. Now, you'd be relying on Van Routen and Winters. And those guys, I think, are better run blockers than pass protectors. And then you're relying on Adoga to develop. And, you know, you, you probably – I don't know if you'd still sign Fant in that situation because now you've tied up, you know, 20 – probably $2 million between, per year between McGovern and Tooney. So you probably would have rocked, you know, rocked it, rocked it with uh, a Doga at right tackle. So your right side would be really, really weak, but your left side is foundational. I mean, super foundational. Young players, uh, guys entering their prime, really good talent. And then 2022, you're uh, 2021, you're like, okay, well now we'll just we'll draft our right tackle and and we'll see what we have at guard. So and you're never going to get it perfect, but you feel pretty good about four of those five spots. So I think when you look at it, what they did come out of it with McGovern at center, a guy that's going to be here foundational for three years, Becton, who, you know, you and I definitely believe is a foundational player at left tackle for a couple of years. Now you have band-aids at the other three positions. I'm not the biggest George Fant believer. I am very, very much hoping that Edoga makes it hard for him to start because I think Edoga played fine at right tackle last year. He was really bad at left tackle, but he was fine at right tackle. So if Adoka can win out that right tackle spot, Van Rowen is just an average starter, which is fine. If you can get that out of him, you know, we'll see you with Alex Lewis. And this is why I clamor to sign Larry Warford, because that's another foundational guy that you would have at right guard. So it, it was a fine job, right? It wasn't a great, great job, but you're really handcuffed by what you can do in one offseason. But at least you see the plan effectively in place. I think that's something – that's good to see. It, now, once again, I think I saw things a little different. Uh, something I talked about on Badlands a lot was I would have made it a point to bring back Kelvin Beecham for another year because then, you know, I, I wouldn't have signed George Fant. You signed Kelvin Beecham back for a year. I thought he was fine at left tackle. Not great, but definitely not the weak point of the line because then you'd have Beecham on the left side, Becton on the right side, 
and, and you just feel a little bit stronger about both tackle spots. But there was clearly fraction, you know, friction between Beecham and Gase from everything I've heard where that just wasn't going to happen. So I think that was a big part of it. I think, once again, it's an improved unit. It's, I think, will be an ascending unit. You hope that you can get, you know, Becton definitely playing at a high level eventually, McGovern you feel good about. And I think, you know, once again, it's just one of those things where they, they really need another draft. They really do. Now, <laughs> I don't want to get too early here, but if the team bottoms out this year and wins three or four games, you know, if you can get a guy like Penny Sewell from Oregon, I mean, he's an incredible tackle prospect. Or you can, you know, use one of your second rounders on a guard and things like that. Once again, it's a two-year plan, but it's, this was a step in the right direction, the moves they made. What about wide receiver? I've said that I think they should have tried a little harder to keep Robbie Anderson. I wonder how much the organization actually liked Robbie because we had heard throughout the season that Gase was sort of hot and cold on Anderson and we know that he went through that dry spell at a certain point. It seemed like they wanted to keep him, but they didn't want to keep him that much. And I think Perriman had a nice stretch for a few games, but after that, you look back at his record and you think that this is a really big leap of faith, especially considering that Sam Darnold's going into his third year. Overall, I do like the job that Joe Douglas did, but you do have to question the wide receiver decisions, right? Yeah, you definitely do. Now, number one, you know, something I, I said on the, uh, the Badlands episode, I think two episodes after the draft is, they thought they were getting two wide receivers in this draft and they didn't play the board right. They did a lot of good things with the board in this draft. The one area where they missed was they thought after the Zuniga pick that they were going to be able to get another wide receiver. And I think the Raiders actually completely demolished those plans by taking both Lynn Bowden and Brian Edwards back to back. Both players fit what the Jets needed. So that's one area where they blew it. They thought they were going to get another body in the draft and, and the guys they liked went off the board way earlier than they expected. So that didn't help. The other thing is, you know, not a lot of guys in free agency. I do think they very much mishandled the Robbie Anderson scenario. I, I don't understand not matching that number, especially if you're going to go out and pay Brashad Perriman a, a decent amount of money in a one-year deal. I, I don't understand it personally. I, I think we would all feel somewhat good about this group if it was Robbie Anderson, Mims, and Crowder. Not great, but good. Good enough because the relationship that Anderson and Darnold, the chemistry they started to develop. So I think they, that, you know, for all the good things I've said on this show about what they've done, they, they blew that one. They really did. I, I have no explanation for it. It's not like the Robbie Anderson contract was anything special. So, um, you know, when you look at it, in terms of how the offense is going to function, I think that you're going to see a ton of two tight end sets. You really are. I think Chris Herndon and Ryan Griffin. Now Griffin's coming back from significant injury, which makes you, you know, kind of wonder how, how quickly will he be ready to go? Chris Herndon, somebody that basically missed all of last year, but is a really effective player when he's on the field. I think this offense, you're going to see a ton of Herndon and Griffin on the field together you'll probably see a, a true committee backfield with Bell Gore and a little bit of P Ryan, you know, a single back kind of guys. Although I'd like to see them do, you know, dual backs with Gore and Bell and, and use Bell as a receiver. 
And, and with that two tight end set, you're really putting Crowder and Perriman out there. And, and maybe, you know, you'll put in Mims at times too a lot. You're not going to see an offense that I think is just a such a receiver-heavy offense. I really don't. I think you'll see a tight end-heavy offense where Darnold, who I, I think is a good middle-of-the-field thrower when Herndon's on the field, that's what you know something that they really want to emphasize. And while people like myself are, are very concerned about the lack of receiver depth they have, once again, I, I just think it's going to be an offense that is super, super – uh, tight end heavy. What do you make of the running back situation? Everything that was done in the offseason seems to indicate that they're not going to emphasize Le'Veon Bell. Now, it remains to be seen exactly how he's used, but the way that they've tailored the offensive line and P. Ryan's style seems to be much different than Le'Veon Bell's style. What do you think we can expect, especially with the signing of Frank Gore? Well, I think there'll be a run-heavy offense. I think that's something Adam Gase wants to deploy. And I think that, unfortunately, you're going to see, you know, plenty of Frank Gore. And, you know, my problem with that, Scott, is that I think with Bell, you, you can give Gore the ball. I'm fine with that. You know, you can give, get P. Ryan involved. I'm fine with that. But I don't think that means Le'Veon Bell needs to come off the field. I think Le'Veon Bell such a good receiver. You go back to the Raiders game last year where they, they motioned him in the slot. They played him out wide at times, and he made plays. You know, when we talk about the lack of depth at wide receiver, well, that's a, a way to supplement it. So I, I think, you know, you're going to see a very run-heavy offense. It, it might be, you know, hopefully it opens up things for Sam on play action, especially with how good he can move and get outside the pocket and make plays with his legs. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm curious, because I think last year they were so shorthanded on talent at times, especially when Darnold was out, that it was hard to get a read on what Gase really wanted to do. Where this year, I, once again, I've said that I don't think they have the personnel to really run an outside zone scheme with these running backs. And, and I, I think that they do have the personnel to run an inside zone, but I think we'll also see, you know, plenty of gap in the run game. I think, you know, obviously you have a guy like Becton, you want to run behind him. I'm curious to see if they get Wesco involved as a fullback kind of blocker when Herndon's on the field for the kind of wide receiver tight end he is, I think he's a very good blocker. And I already gushed about Mims blocking. So they can get creative with this run game just because you don't have five pro bowlers on the offensive line. And I'll say this, you know, if there's something to be excited about Van Routen and winters when he's not playing with one shoulder, I mean, the guy was completely decimated last year. Those guys can run block pretty well. So this should be a team that can run the football, you would hope. Now, the question for me is, how do they want to run the football? What scheme do they want to use? How will they get creative running the football? That's the kind of stuff that we're going to all be keeping our eyes on as we, we get some film on what this team wants to do on offense with their new players. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What about the defensive side of the ball? We know that the inside linebacker position should absolutely be better this year, barring more catastrophic injuries because they get back their two starters, two of the better inside linebackers in the league, and Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley, who's probably a top three inside linebacker in the NFL. 
But they needed to do something in terms of edge rush. They didn't really do much. They brought back Jordan Jenkins, which I suppose is better than nothing to hold the fort. But it felt like there were opportunities to get some players. Maybe they didn't want to spend to go out and get somebody like Dante Fowler, but there were other lower-level guys they could have brought in that could have helped. And then at cornerback, they went out and got Pierre Desir, certainly an upgrade, but there's still some question marks there at cornerback. As I've been saying, the Jets went from last year having an entire cornerback room full of uh, to this year having an entire cornerback room full of uh, or maybe. So I think it's an improvement, but did they do enough at those two key areas where they were hurting last year? Well, it's never enough, right? And I think the simple answer, once again, is is no. But here's a couple of positive things. Greg Williams coached his ass off last year where I feel Greg's, Greg's got a better unit this year, right? He coached his ass off last year, and he's got a way better unit this year to work with. There, now, here's a couple of the good things. One, yes, the cornerback position is still a little bit of a concern, but the things I like is this is a much more competitive room, right? Like Tremaine Johnson – didn't really look like he ever wanted to be on the field last year. Daryl Roberts, forget that he was not a good tackler. He could never find the ball in coverage, and it just it never really clicked. Desir, when healthy, is a very competitive, physical man cover corner. Uh, bless Austin, we saw how fiery he was when he got on the field last year. Brian Poole, quietly one of the better slot corners in the NFL last year in terms of coverage. So I think that's something to be excited about. You know, we'll see what happens with Logan Ryan, but not even having to address that, Ashton Davis is somebody that can handle a lot of roles. He can run with tight ends. He's got good size, good athleticism, incredible track speed. Uh, I think he's going to significantly help this secondary. You know, we know how good Jamal Adams and Marcus May are together. So they have a lot of bodies at corner, and, you know, we'll see what we get, you know, with some of the lower flyer additions, a guy like Mallette, and obviously, you know, Quincy Wilson is somebody that they're going to try to rebirth his career. It's a competitive room. It really, really is. And I think that that's what you want. If you don't have the premium talent at the cornerback position or overall in the secondary, which they do at safety, let's not get it wrong. They have probably the best safety in the NFL and then a very, very good starter in Marcus May. And then what I think will be a very, very good one in Ashton Davis. So they're deep at safety and talent. They're not talented at corner, but they are very competitive. And Greg gets the most out of those guys. Now, where it becomes hard for a, a group at corner that you, you hope will overachieve is, there's not a lot of edge pass rush on this team. Jordan Jenkins, fine as a number two, but they don't have a number one. Now, when you look at it, you know, the defensive line should be very good. Quinton Williams is the X factor of it all. If Quinton Williams turns into this eight-sack player, a disruptive interior player, it kind of mitigates the issues on the edge at least for one more year where, you know, you hope Terrell Basham can and be good enough. We know how reliable Steve McClendon is. Fulleronzo uh, Fadakasi and Nathan Shepard played very well last year. Fadakasi is a two-gapping nose tackle that you can't run on. Shepard had a lot of juice as a pass rusher last year on the interior. I think when you look at it, it's a good defensive line. It's a, it's a really good defensive line that's just missing that edge rusher, you know, and it, it's kind of interesting how they're built. They're built so stout up the middle. Once again, great safety tandem, really, really good interior defensive line. Now, the most important thing to talk about is 
and something that can make a difference on this team. C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson have the talent to be the best inside linebacker duo in the NFL. They do. They have the, be- the talent to do it. Mosley, you saw in the one half of Buffalo, can change the entirety of a game. Avery Williamson was really good in 2018, and everybody forgot that because they were absolute idiots for leaving him out there in that late in a preseason game last year where it cost him his season. But the speed these guys play with, the downhill attacking style in the run game, some of the most high IQ players at the position in the NFL, they could do a lot of things really, really well. And when you have safeties with range that they do, the Jets are uh, the Jets are usually behind the trends on a lot of things in the NFL. One area they are not is they have players on defense that have the speed, range, IQ to disrupt a game. So now they need to stay healthy and they need to come back healthy. Those are really important things. You don't just come back good as new all the time. It takes a little time to get going. So the defense is something that is going to be interesting to watch this year because it can – you know, sure, they don't have the stars at corner. They don't have the edge rusher. And those are the two things that everyone looks for when building a great defense. But they're deep everywhere else. They're competitive. And they're very, very well coached across the board where I think it's, it's going to be a really, really fun competitive unit that teams will not run on. That's for sure. Connor, what do you think we ultimately need to see from Adam Gase and from Sam Darnold? Because I think a lot of us still have faith in Sam Darnold, but we want to see him make that leap. And with Adam Gase, I don't think there's as much trust with him as there is with Darnold, but there are things that he can do, I think, even outside of making the playoffs that would put minds at ease in terms of the way that the offense progresses, the way that Darnold progresses, the overall in-game planning and decision-making, making adjustments, maybe not hearing as much about discord in the locker room, so on and so forth. Talk to me a little bit about what you want to see both from Darnold and from Gase to feel better about both of them going into 2021. Oh, well, you want to see an offense that can function off script, you know, outside of the opening drive of the game. I think that's what you want to see. You want to see creativity. You want to see efficiency. You know, you want to see them not get away from things that work. You know, you know, dual back backfields last time. You know, you see that on opening drives when they get away from it. I don't know why. Uh, you know, you see that using Le'Veon Bell as a wide receiver, getting creative with your blocking concepts. You know, using more motion. Just things like that that can really boost this offense, catering an offense to Sam's strengths. I mean, Sam is not going to be Peyton Manning where he's just going to drop back in his pocket and, and just dissect things. Sam is an athletic player that can throw off platform, you know, that is somebody that can – you should cut the field in half at times, get him on the move, roll him out, things like that. Make it easier for your, you know, 22-year-old quarterback. So I, I think with that, you're looking for offensive production, you know, and – the objective of game of football is obviously to win. I, I get that. But there is a lot more on the Jets season right now than winning games. It is how the franchise, Sam Darnold is the franchise of this team. And him making a big leap in year two to three, it has to happen. And if it doesn't, I'm not going to blame Sam Darnold. I'm going to blame a coaching staff that has, on offense, not on defense, on offense has just shown us nothing. And not shown us nothing last year. I saw nothing from this coaching staff in Miami. Uh, that gave me any reason to believe they are the right one to develop this quarterback. Connor, I've said this before, and a lot of Jets fans don't like it, but I'm curious if you agree with me on this. 
I give Joe Douglas, say, a B, B-plus on the way that he handled the offseason. I largely think he did pretty well. I think we highlighted the areas where he could have done a little bit more. But this also felt like an offseason that was the first year of a two- to three-year plan to completely rebuild this roster. And people don't want to hear the word rebuild, but this did kind of feel like the beginning of a rebuild, didn't it? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's all the makings of one. You see, the veteran players they signed are mostly on one-year deals, so those contracts can just be ripped up after, and you can continue, you know, keeping your cap situation flexible. A lot of draft picks, a lot of draft picks. We don't see draft classes this big very often, uh, you know. So when you look at that, that's a big sign of it. They're building things the way Joe Douglas wants to, while remaining flexible. You know, keeping a lot of uh, a lot of competition at different position groups. They have young guys in position groups. They have veteran holdovers, and almost every position group has it. You know, Desir is here on a one-year deal, but you want to see Bless Austin and Bryce Hall fight to start a corner down the road. You, you know, you you have all these guards on one-year deals, but you want to see Cam Clark develop and you know fight for reps. That's what you want to see. So. There's, you know, they have a million different inside linebackers, although C.J. Mosley is going to be here for a very long time. So, you know, there's just a lot of competition at position groups with young players, veteran players, and a team that is going to rely on the draft, not just this year, but for the next two years to build a new foundation. He is the co-host of Stick to Football on Bleacher Report and, of course, the co-host of the great subscription-only podcast, Badlands, with Joe Caparoso, who is the owner of TurnOnTheJets.com and the VP of social media over at Whistle Sports, Mr. Connor Rogers. Connor, thanks so much for coming on and talking about the Jets offseason with me. As always, really appreciate it. The beauty of this podcast is that what it really is is a Cliff Notes version of what you get every single week on Badlands because Connor goes through this stuff in much greater detail. There's all kinds of fascinating nuggets that he didn't talk about on this show that he's talked about on Badlands, and that's the exclusive home for that content. So, Connor, talk a little bit about what people can expect when they go and sign up for Badlands over on Podbean. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we're doing something a little different. It's, you know, the nine or 10 bucks for the year subscription, but you get, you get your money's worth. I, I mean, number one, it started out as a premium docu-series where it's 10 episodes on the last 10 years of the Jets with a guest on every single show. So a lot of good insights, a lot of inside insights. And then now Joe and I are still doing pods every single week where we're still booking guests. You know, we're still giving you premium info that you can really only hear on that show. Uh, written content as well. I have my written Jets draft grades on there, you know, mock drafts, things like that. So it's been really fun uh, to, you know, cover the Jets on a weekly basis again, almost where it feels like, and just give a different take on everything. And and once again, just to, if you like the insights from this episode of the show, you, you get that pretty much weekly on Badlands with Joe and I. So it's, it's been a fun project. And the, the Badlands community too has been really cool to see people just you know, be a part of it, constant good discussion on Twitter and and a lot of excitement around each show. If you haven't subscribed yet, no better time than now 
to correct that, you are missing out big time. And for the low, low price of $10 for the entire year, not only do you get that 10-part docu-series, and I've said this to you, Connor, I think the episode with Alex Jimo is worth the price of admission alone just for that story she told about talking to Woody Johnson (laughs) outside the locker room. That was incredible. Might have changed the course of that entire season in a weird way. That and the weekly podcast between you and Joe, where not only do you guys reveal things that you don't reveal anywhere else, but you have on exclusive guests and have some great conversations. You had a great one with Jordan Reed, where I learned some things about his past as a coach that I didn't know about. And I'm not going to get into it here because I want everybody to hear it in full on Badlands. But go ahead and subscribe at Podbean, Connor's Twitter at Connor J. Rogers, and Joe's Twitter at J. Caparosa. There are links there. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.